0: You know, one of the great things about being a part of church is that you get to experience so many different people and so many different fun experiences, uh, really, that are enriching. Uh, one of the great stories that, that I have is this of of stories of baptism over the years. And I've got to tell you about the first kid I ever baptized. He was a little kid named Richie Hunter. I will never forget his name. To this day, I don't like him. I uh, was pastoring my first church, and little Richie got in the water, and I gave him all the right instructions, and I put him down in the water, and when I brought him up out of the water, he screamed at the top of his lungs, mama, mama, that boy tried to drown me. It's really hard to get people to get baptized after an experience like that if you're feared death. But baptism is about death. It's about the death burial and resurrection of Christ. And this past Easter at Sunday morning, you may remember we had a sunrise service and we baptized about 50 people at that service. And what I want to do is I want to introduce that video back to a portion of it while the band plays and while I read from the book of Acts chapter 2. The scripture says this, Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly That God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. For you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, and as many as the Lord God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day there were about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. May God honor and bless the reading of His precious Word. Let's pray together. Father, as we pray, we are thankful for this legacy of the church that we read about in the book of Acts. How they identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. How in just simplicity of heart, Father, they gave You praise and glory and honor. And I pray, God, as we enter into this time of studying the Word of God, as we enter into this time, Father, of of really just putting our arms around You and knowing how great You are, that we invite Your presence, we invite Your power, Holy Spirit. We ask You to fill every heart. We pray for the anointing of the Spirit to come upon us, God. And we pray that we can have eyes to really see and ears to really hear what You want to do in our midst. And as we talk about the church, the Bride, We pray that you will be lifted up, Christ, and that you will draw men unto yourself. For we pray in Jesus' name, our Lord. Amen. You know, when you think about the greatest risk in your life, what comes to mind? It might be a financial risk. It might be a physical risk. But I want to suggest the greatest risk is missing out on the miracle that God wants to do in your life, in my life, in the life of this church. You see, God provides in a dramatic fashion. What God does is He offers something way beyond what we could ever ask, think, or imagine. He provides in an amazing way in an unexpected time. We might put it like this. When God enters the building, the equation changes. God begins to multiply your faith. God will multiply your miracles as He multiplies your faith. And he will remove what you think is a sure thing, and he will keep you hanging on until the very last minute. Don't you love that about God? Not me. I'd rather have a little advance warning from God saying, this is what's going to happen, and if you'll just trust me, all's going to be well. But God is not so interested in meeting that need in your life as he is in growing you up spiritually into the image of his own son. Because you were not created simply for time, you were created for eternity. And whatever you do now, if it does not contribute directly to eternity, in some ways it doesn't have the full value of life. It diminishes that which God wants to do. As your faith begins to grow, your capacity to believe Him for greater things will grow as well. I can remember the early days of starting this church when we simply wanted a sound system and we got one we borrowed one and it wasn't very good and then we put it in that echo chamber called El Rancho and we bought a can of earplugs for people so they could go back there and put the earplugs in. then they came in here and everybody thought that no one was singing because we have acoustical panels on all three walls of this place and I can't wait to get back in a warehouse so we can make some more noise again amen well, God has a destiny for every one of his children and for his church. And it's a mystery the way that God works, but it's a, it's a mystery that really has some explanation. It's a result of God's plan and your daily decisions. You see, you are where you are today because of some decision you've made. You are where you are not because someone is at fault, You are where you are not because of some mistake. You are because you made a mistake to make a wrong decision somewhere along the line and it had consequences. Or, as the mystery of your decision and the mystery of the will of God came together, God was unfolding a path and a pattern way beyond what you could ever ask, think, or imagine. So God has this destiny and what he wants to do with his children and with his church. He wants to bring us to the place where we understand when you risk big, You align yourself with a big God who loves to see his children prove his faithfulness. Is there anything you're trusting God right now for that scares you? Or are you trusting God for things like, God, I just want to trust you for today? Not a real scary risk, right? What are you trusting God for? And then let me ask you this, is God doing what you're believing him for? That's how you know you have faith. Is God doing what you're believing him for? And if you don't know what you're believing him for, then you can't see the result of that. As we begin to probe into this, I love this quote from uh, Daniel Burnham. He was the principal architect of the Chicago Fair. He said, make no small plans, for they have no capacity to stir men's blood. We have a divine appointment from God. Every one of us. Whether you know what it is or not, you have it. You have divine revelation that comes by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, and you have divine power living and pulsating in you. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are going to be witnesses. You're going to be able to tell people about this message. I love that that scene. You can almost imagine what it was like. Here's Jesus. He's walking along with this ragtag group of followers he calls disciples. They're grumbling most of the time. They're confused the other half of the time. They're wandering around, and then Jesus stops, and he says this in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. He came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? In other words, what's going on in the gospel grapevine? What's happening out there? What are people saying about me? Because I know they're talking about me. You know, the Pharisees said, you know, he keeps company with sinners. The thing we don't like about him is he's not holy enough. They said he's a wine-bibber. He drank wine, not grape juice. They didn't like that. They didn't like the fact that he broke the Sabbath day by healing people. And they had all kinds of reasons to to bring an objection up about him. And it said, so who do men say that I am, the Son of Man? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but who do you say that I am? And this is a turning point in the life of Peter. It's a turning point in every person's life when you come face to face with who is Jesus. If you stop short and he's just a rabbi, he's just a prophet, he's just a good man, then you've missed the whole point of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice what the response is. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. That means the Messiah of the Old Testament. You are the Son of the living God. And notice what Jesus says to him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You cannot understand who Jesus is without the revelation of God, the Spirit of God in your heart. Because you have to understand, this is God in the flesh walking among us. When he died on the cross, it was God in the flesh who died on the cross. When he rose from the dead, it was Christ who rose from the dead, the Son of the living God, the eternal Son of God. You have to have that enlightenment about who Jesus is before you move any further in this whole process. And he said unto you, uh, unto him, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. You see, somehow Jesus thought church was important, didn't he? I love the dialogue I have with so many men. It's more men than women, by the way. And they'll say something like this. You know, well, I don't think you have to go to church to be a Christian. Now, I love the theology, right? Because they're giving me theological backgrounds here about what... I said, really, what, that's not what you believe, is it? What you really want is you want an excuse not to be in church. Because it is true, You don't going into church doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking into a garage makes you a car. So that's not the criteria for conversion. But why is, if it's not important, why did Jesus die to establish it? Why did he stake his entire message on this particular thing, the church? Because the church, with Jesus Christ as its head, is the hope for the world. Now the church sometimes is an ugly bride. I've been doing a lot of weddings in the last several weeks. I did another one yesterday. I wake up in the middle of the night saying, with this ring I thee wed. And I can tell you I've never seen an ugly bride they're all beautiful, they're all different, but they all have a glow about them and a majesty about them that overwhelms you when you see them coming down that aisle. And I look over at the groom, and every groom so far that I've ever married, I had a privilege of marrying has, has had that tear well up in his eye, and he looks at her like he's never seen her before in his life. And he begins to weep, and then he looks at me, and they almost always say this, I don't know if I can get through this. Do you know that when Jesus looks at you with, at us, the bride, a tear wells up in his eye and he says, I am overwhelmed and I don't even know if I can get through this love affair I have with the church, the bride of the living God. Even with our ugliness, even with our mistakes, even when we're not behaving like the church, he loves you, the body every believer, and he died to establish it. He said, I will build my church, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And then he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want to talk to you about the supernatural origin of the church and what we're supposed to be about. I'm amazed every week, honestly, that people actually will show up to a theater and for church in Orange County. And not only that, but then they'll go to another one and just watch it by streaming. And then they'll they'll watch it over at the school, and then they'll watch it in Abu Dhabi, and they'll watch it in Big Bear, and they'll go on live stream. And these hundreds and hundreds of people that are watching, and I'm going, this is amazing, it has to have a divine origin about it. Here's what keeps the church from being the church, it's fear. Here's what keeps you from being all that God wants you to be, it's fear. You know what fear is? It is the boundary line of Satan's power. Fear is the boundary line of Satan's power. The moment you step over that line of fear, you destroy his control in your life. As long as you live by fear, you are under control, you are under his thumb, and you will never be who God intended you to be. When you face your fears, they get smaller. When you run from them, they get bigger. What you want to do is replace this fear with faith. Put faith in its place because faith opens the door for new opportunities in your life. Faith comes in layers. You're going to find out that that there's steps of faith, there's leaps of faith, but there's also layers of faith. And you'll find yourself just kind of pushing, and you're thinking, I don't want to push into that dimension of faith. It's uncomfortable. Of course it is. Of course it is. But faith comes in layers, and each layer is connected to the layer below, growing larger and larger, increasing your capacity to dream, to believe, and to access the power of God in your life. But don't be discouraged by struggle or delay. Your struggle when joined to faith will give birth to a miracle. The early church, why they experienced challenges and setbacks and opposition on every hand. How'd you like to have this as your model? You walk out here and there's somebody ready to arrest you, put you in jail, or kill you. Does that increase your faith? Your big faith is, I wonder how hot it's going to be outside. Where am I going to go for dinner today? Well, you see, the church had all these setbacks, but they also had this important thing that they said, we're going to have some things in common, and we're going to call this unity today. And there's different kinds of unity we have. One of them is theological unity. It's not important that we agree on every single detail of theology, but it is important that we agree on the main things. There are some primary, let's say, doctrines of the faith, like The Trinity, the resurrection, the virgin birth, the authority of Scriptures. Those kind of things are primary. Secondarily, uh, we might look and say there's some other doctrines that are really not that important. Some people get all worked up about them. Just let them get worked up. They'll calm down after a while. But you see, we have to agree on some theological principles to say this is who we are as a church. This is why we stand where we stand, and this is what the Bible teaches Then we have to have relational unity as well. We have to be people who love each other and demonstrate it by showing honor to one another. Be respectful and friendly. Quite honestly, there may be some people you don't like. You still have to love them. There may be some people you don't agree with. You still have to love them. People ask me sometimes, well, what's heaven going to be like? I mean, are we going to see everybody? And I, I always kind of like joke with them with a really serious face. And I said, well, here's what's going to happen, because God wants to purge out everything that's in us here, so he's going to put us in a room with all the people we don't like and haven't gotten along with for years. Yeah, it's not funny, is it? Because you're already making the inventory. You're thinking, I don't want to be there with them. But we have to understand this principle of relational unity. How do we build re- relationships and, and show honor to one another and respect to one another and be courteous to one another? And, and you know, if you want to speak to someone about someone, don't speak to them. Be face to face. Then we have to have philosophical unity. Methods and styles, they change. You know, there's some of you, I'm sure, going, you know, I don't even know what goes on up on that stage musically. And others, you go, I love it. I wish they'd take it to another level. Those are styles and preferences. Those are methods. And it defines the culture of a church. And a church kind of takes on a culture, and it kind of morphs itself as it goes down through time. And it'll change its methods. It'll change some of its styles. But we'll never change our core beliefs in the power of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the truthfulness of His Word. I want to share with you a way that we started. It seemed appropriate to bring this back now that we're now 15, 16 months into our church start. I knew nothing about what I'm getting ready to read to you. It's not written grammatically correct because it was given as a prophetic word by someone uh, named Sean Bolts back in October of 2011. I didn't know Sean, I knew of Sean, I didn't know him, but I met him since this, this, uh, this time because I said, I wanna share you, you my story and, and there's just more to this. In fact, he just texted me this morning and he said, there's so much more to the story that relates to your church. This is what he said, I'm just gonna read it to you and I'll comment as we go a bit, but he said, there is a new season of resource provision. Call it forth, we sow greatly and it's from faith, and not hope. Position your spirit. Jesus wants us to see it. He's going to release titles to buildings. I saw the date as 2 12 It was on 2 12 You may remember some of you were there where we gathered in a living room. And it was there that the Spirit of God impressed upon us that we were going to start a church. And I had no intention of starting a church on two twelve twelve. 12 and I didn't think much about it, and our, our Craig, our media, one of our media guys, our director back there, he, he put a video together, and some of you've seen that, of all the 12s in the Bible, what I was speaking. and John called me up. John Ketchum called me up and said, "Hey, I'm freaking out on this," because he heard this message that Sean gave. He said, "This sounds like us." And I read it, and I realized that somehow God was doing something way back in 2011, and I didn't know what all he was doing. It goes on to say there is a boiling point, a tipping point about to hit. And surely there was on 21212. The fire has been turned up and it is refining you to a point of beauty. You will shine with glory and there is an uncomfortable phase. It isn't warfare because it's God. He is turning up the heat, it's linked to resources. Something in you is changing and linking you to resources of default purpose. It's been a hot season. Something is going to happen, a breakthrough. You'll forget the journey. Isn't it interesting? Our first series was called The Journey. In the glory you're about to receive, that is the good word. It has something to do with the spirit of breakthrough and the release of a breakthrough. Listen to me in an unprecedented supernatural way. And I, and I haven't looked at that in some time and I stepped back into it and I said, God, what are you trying to do? And I realize what, what God has done in me over the 15 months has been a good thing. Because God has taken me and He's better shaped me into His image. And He's humbled me in a lot of ways. And He's given me greater faith in so many ways. He's brought me close to you and you to me. And, it, and we have this, this idea in our heart that somehow we're not here just because we're looking for a cushy place to go to church. We're not looking for the right facility. We're here because God is doing something in our midst. That's why we're here. There is a supernatural origin to this church called influence. We've seen it over and over again. Who would have ever imagined 15 months into the life of a church that we would be buying a building? Who would imagine 11 months into it that we would put a bid in on a $3 million building when we had no money and win the bid? That's craziness. It's all crazy as far as I'm concerned. It's just God-crazy stuff. And I love it. Let me show you the divine promise. In Matthew 16, 18, He said, I will build My church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And this reminds us that it's Jesus who's the master builder. It's not me. Not you, it's Jesus. He also reminds us it's His church. It's not my church. I don't own it. You don't own it. It's the church of Jesus. And then that, that hell cannot even stop the church. Hell tries all the time. But it doesn't stop the work of the church. You see, there is a new season of provision that is promised. And we are to call it forth. You know, when you, when you invite the presence of God in your life, it changes the atmosphere around you. I challenge you just to try this sometime, just to say, Holy Spirit of God, I just invite your presence now into this place, into this circle in which I stand. And may your presence and your power, may it be evident in me and through me right now. And I invite you to do that. And you'll be amazed how the presence of God shows up. We also can call forth this provision and believe that what God is doing in our midst is far greater than we could ever imagine. Not all will finish the mission. Not all will finish the mission. The struggle is too much for some, the journey is too long, and the risk is too great. Like the 12 spies who were sent into the land. And you remember, only two of them brought back a good report. It was Joshua and Caleb, and they brought back a good report. I'd I'd love to have been there on that day and just heard that report where the 10 said, we can't go there because there's giants in the land, and we look like grasshoppers in their sight. And here's Joshua and Caleb going, wait a minute. God has already promised us the land. Are we going to listen to that voice, or are we going to listen to the voice of God? The rest refused to see what God was doing in their midst. They refused to say, let's let God do something. What about you? Would you be a Joshua, a Caleb, or one of the ten? What do you want to see God do? I think that you want to see God do some great things. With God, all things are possible, amen? But not with all people. See, that's what we forget. With God, all things are possible, not for all people. His power and His miracles are not available to everyone, but faith brings an expectation of God's supernatural power followed by His miracles. You have to step into the faith of God. You have to step into the promise of God. You have to stand there when you don't want to stand any longer. I think about Peter getting out of that boat and walking on the water. And when he kept his eyes on Jesus, everything was fine. The minute he put his eyes on the wave, he began to sink. So we can't stop. We can't stop believing God for great things. Because our God is a God of unlimited supply. God has no shortage. I mean, well, you say, well, I, gee, God, I don't know, could you spare a dime? Well, I own the universe. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. All the gold and silver is mine, says the Lord. Heaven and earth is mine. In fact, heaven is my my throne and earth is my footstool. What would you ask of me? What would you ask of me? With God, all things are possible. And as we think about this, our God is a God of infinite capacity. There's no shortage from God's perspective. I've been amazed through this journey. Every time we've had a need, God has moved through one of you to meet that need. I can remember in that First couple of months, we wanted to buy our first sound system, by the way, which we're still using two of those speakers, and we added two more. Those over there, the, the original speakers we had, vintage, vintage-influenced church, 12 months old. And I was sharing that, and somebody said, well, how much does that cost? And I said, I'll oh, about so much money. He says, well, I'll take care of that. And it was done. We need to file for a nonprofit, and someone said, well, I'll take care of that. And it was like that early church atmosphere where everybody just said, there's a need, okay, let me take care of that need. Let me meet that need. And as we're in this next step of the journey, if you were at the family meeting this morning, you know a little bit of this information, but as we're in that next step of the journey, we are, we are right on the doorstep of faith. In order to finish that building, we're going to need about $350,000 by July 15th. I don't know where that money's coming from. If you have your checkbook and it's got a balance in it of three fifty, if you'd write that check, it would be awesome. <laughs> and I don't mean three dollars and fifty cents. You say I got three fifty, I, I can do that. But you know, when we put that out there we say, I don't know how that's gonna happen. I read that that passage there in Acts that we read and and it said that that they gathered together and as everyone had need and as that church came together and God began to bless and God began to do some things, people were just moved in their heart. It's also been surprising that God moves in people's hearts from people I really didn't know that well and I didn't know they had that in their heart to give and they'll just say, you know what, could I do this? Could I help out with that? And I just want you to pray because you know what? It has to be by revelation. We never, we never want to give outside of revelation giving. It's never going to be by reason. Reason, it never makes sense. Giving is a bad financial model. Let's just be honest. Unless your kingdom is in heaven, and then there is no better model for giving. Because everything I sow here, I reap there. God is a God of increase. Whatever we give, God increases a hundredfold. God is a God of abundance. What God does, He doesn't just give in small measure, He gives in great measures. But don't let circumstances hinder you. Take a stand and choose to be an overcomer rather than one who is overcome. Return to the place where you first heard the promise of God. Go back there and say, God, I refuse to doubt I'm going back to that. Go back to the time when you heard His voice. Renew your commitment to the Lord. And ask yourself, what's weighing you down now? That God can't handle. Who stole your passion to believe God, to do the really risky stuff in life? It was a year ago that we invited Louis Zapparini to come and speak on Father's Day. You may remember that. And everybody said it was crazy because he had a pretty good speaker's fee for a guy 90 years old. And we're going to do what? We're going to set up outside in the sun. And we're going to expect people to show up, and more than 1,600 people showed up to that event. About 30 people came to faith in Christ at that event. And we were only a church of about five months old, four months old. It was risky, but you know what? Go back to the promise. Take everything back that Jesus has st- that the Satan has stolen from you. Take it back and say, Jesus, thank you for giving it back. In Jesus' name, I take back what the enemy stolen. Some of you know what he's stolen from you? Hope. Confidence. Joy. Risk. Faith. Take it back in Jesus' name. Take it back. Just say, I am taking it back. Would you say that? Just softly into your breath. I'm taking it back. I didn't hear you. I'm taking it back. A little louder, I'm taking it back. A little bit louder, I'm taking it back. And now let's do it just really loud. I'm taking it back. I want it back. I'll tell you what, I had the two grand boys over, and, and they were here for a couple of days, and there's Cruz and Crosby. And, and old Cruz went to Disneyland and got a, some kind of a light-up sword thing that looks like it could kill people. And it lights up, and it's really cool. And all of a sudden, he looked over, and Crosby had it. He said, that's mine. I'm taking it back. Crosby turned and he took off the other way because he didn't want it taken back. He went over and he grabbed it and he had to pry it out of the hands of that (laughs) one-year-old. Can I tell you Satan's a one-year-old? He's a one-year-old. You got Jesus, remember? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You just say, I'm taking it back, it's mine, and you let the little one-year-old hold on as long as he can, but he has to bend and yield under the power of Almighty God. You see, the enemy will not stop me any longer. I am the bride of Christ. I have been given honor and power. Hell must bow at the name of Jesus. I come in that name, that name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow on earth, under the earth, and in heaven, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isaiah the prophet said, Isaiah the prophet said, fear not. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. What did God say? Fear not, do not be dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes. Yes, I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's God's promise. Whenever you feel weak, you just say, God, I'm not going to fear Whenever you feel like He's not with you, just be reminded, I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. But there is also this redemptive purpose of God. Look what it says in Matthew 16, 19. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm going to tell you something that I believe. And I'm going to go back... To the building. When we started this, I told everybody, I believed that the TI, the tenant improvements, all the renovation, would be about $300,000. And everybody said I was crazy. And I mean everybody said I was crazy. I didn't have one person who said, I think you're right. We've done buildings, we've seen these projects, we know what they do. Now you've got to remember, we also have $75,000 in tenant improvements for that we're doing for the post office because we're doing a lease back to them. They're paying about somewhere between a half and a third of our mortgage, depending on which way we go. So they're going to give us $6,500 every month just to stay in a little portion of it. But we have to do the tenant improvements. So in reality, in reality, when the TI budget came in on Friday, I was a little worried in my human man, but in my spirit man, I was confident. So we sat down, and he said, here it is. It came out to $349,000 with the post office. That means it was $275,000. Now, you may not think that's a miracle. Remember, everybody said I was crazy. Here's what I believe. I believe I bound it on earth, and it was first bound in heaven, and then it was bound on earth. I believe that God honored that step of faith. Because it doesn't make any sense. It really, really doesn't. And I really believe that if we will just start exercising our kingdom authority, we can see God do some things that are way beyond what we could ever imagine. We can see how we fulfill God's plan. You see, in the power of the Spirit, we have been given keys to the kingdom of heaven. The only way we can fulfill the mission of Christ, the only way that we can have power over the enemy... The only way that we can release the captives is with the keys of the kingdom. The promise is, for yet a little while, and he who is coming. If you begin to think about it, recovery of sight to the blind, the proclaimed, the acceptable year of the Lord, we have those that power in the keys of the kingdom. And we demonstrate his power because, as Paul said to the Corinthians, it is not by wisdom that we come. It is not by eloquent speech we come, but in a demonstration of the power and of the Spirit of God that we might further His influence in the world. Do not let circumstances hinder you. Take a stand and choose to be an overcomer instead of being overcome." Return to the place when you first heard the promise. Go back to that time when you heard his voice. Renew your commitment to the Lord and ask yourself, what am I going to do? What am I going to let get in the way of God? I taught on this passage from Hebrews to the men's uh, Bible study uh, uh, two weeks ago. And I was uh, just arrested many, many times by how powerful it is in our life. Listen to what it says. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. You ever cast something away? it's going to cast it away. One of the things I love about being in the movie theater is when I have a piece of paper, I just cast it on the floor. I love movie theater stuff. Now, I know we have somebody in here who goes around and picks it up. Thank you very much. But it's just the joy of my heart because I I know we won't be able to do that then. But it's in my culture. Now, I know you are far more spiritual than that. You're looking at me like you're righteous, but I know you've done it. I remember when I was a little kid, I used to get on the floor and I'd see if I could go from the top all the way down here on my belly and when I'd get done I would have milk duds and jujubes, and I'd have everything stuck all over me and I'd come out my mom would say what what happened to you and I said I made it all the way to the front now that has nothing to do with this sermon but I thought you'd enjoy it (laughs) therefore do not cast away your confidence which why you know what your confidence gives you great reward when you have confidence in God God says here's your reward I'm going to give you something for that. You have need of endurance. You have to persevere so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet in a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. God says, I'm not going to slow it down. Everything's going to be right on time. You're just not going to like the time. Now the just shall live by faith. But look at this last line. But if anyone draws back, my soul, that is God's, has no pleasure in him. You see, the one thing Jesus criticized the disciples for was a lack of faith. He was fine with everything else. It was just this lack of faith. God has much in store for those men and women who will endure and see the future. If you've grown weary, if you've lost the edge, if you're feeling overwhelmed by the enemy, then it's time to take a stand for the Lord and for the kingdom, to rise up and be the generation that says no to the enemy and yes to God. Amen? Amen. Winston Churchill put it like this, to every person, there comes in their lifetime that special moment when you are figuratively trapped, tapped on the shoulder, and offered a chance to do a very special thing. I believe God is tapping some people on the shoulder this morning. It's unique to you and your talents. What a tragedy if that moment finds you unprepared or unqualified for the work which you could have been your finest hour. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's one. Jesus died to establish the church. Don't ever think it's not important. I know everything in the world can push out... You're gathering together with other believers. You have to not let it. You have to say, you know what? We are committed to the local church. doesn't mean you don't take a Sunday off. doesn't mean you don't have vacations. doesn't mean you don't have a good time. But everything in the world can get in the way. We have one family that has, has kids that are in, in, involved in sports. They've made a decision to change the whole sports activity so that they can be back in church. To me, that's God-honoring. Because you know what, if your kids rise up and they happen to make it, just by some chance they happen to make it, what is it, less than 5% of all professional baseball players that are drafted actually, or only, only 5% who are actually drafted actually get to play? And we're staking our, our kids' eternal soul on the fact they might be a great athlete, and then they grow up. And they really don't have a great perspective on God or on the church. And we wonder what went wrong. But they can throw a great fastball. You see, we have to take a stand for Jesus. And secondly, no sacrifice is too great to make for Christ. When you sacrifice for Christ, what are you really doing? You're saying, I can only give back. Just an infinitesimal small speck of dust compared to what you gave me. And my, I want to love you, Jesus, with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. And the only way I can do that is to live it out in my daily life, sacrificially, loving Jesus, speaking his name, and trusting what he did in Christ. Amen? Let's stand together as we pray. Heavenly Father, as we pray and we, we ask you, God, to, to really speak to our hearts this morning, we ask you, Father, to, to touch us, God, with your voice, with your spirit. We pray, Lord, that as we enter into this, uh, this final worship song, God, that our hearts will just sing to the, really to the top of its lungs, God, that, that we will just scream out, we love Jesus today. And we give you praise and honor and power, and may you be glorified, may you be honored in everything we do, God. And God is the church, and you have, you've already promised us that you will, you will stand for us, you've established us, and not even the gates of hell can prevail against us. And we just invite your Spirit now to, to be here in powerful in presence, God. And we pray, God, that you would just release in people, God, that awareness of God and that power of the Spirit. We love you, Lord God, and as we worship, we worship you in spirit and in truth. In the name of Jesus, our Lord.